Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Strong Female Characters, a podcast where every week we assemble like a feminist Voltron to celebrate the badass women in geek culture through unfiltered deep dives into the nerdverse. I'm Courtney. And I'm Preeti. What's up? It's just us. Cher's got the flu. Yeah, Cher's the flu, so it's it's just the two of us today. Get your flu shots, people, even though it doesn't matter because climate change is constantly altering the flu virus more than the vaccines can handle it. Everything's great. Oh, my God. We are thriving as a planet. Constant level of anxiety. (laughs) Been there for four years. Seriously. (laughs) Everything's great. Everything's great. Okay. So I... We need to change the subject at once. (laughs) I'm doing it. So... (laughs) Another reason everything's great is that I did not sleep well last night because I was up till one in the morning playing The Witcher 3. Because <laughs> I'm an adult and, in, and I and make healthy all that choices. Good bathtub content. So much bathtub content. <laughs> like the games I generally stick to are like, like I'm a Nintendo person for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I, I got a PlayStation to play Star Wars essentially like four years ago. But I watched the show and so I was like, I want to play this game. This. This is a very grown-up game, which I was not anticipating. It's no Luigi's Mansion. Did you did you know that they have sex in video games now? I know that my Sims used to a lot. <laughs> my Sims used to bone down constantly. I was like, like you go on a date in this game. I was like, what is what is happening? I thought I was gonna be like slashing monsters, like maybe doing some puzzles. <laughs> nope. So both you now and um, our one of our, our writer friends, uh, Stephanie Williams, have posted the picture of him in the bathtub with his feet out. I'm going to need those weird, clean feet off my street, <laughs> like my my timeline. It's so and I don't look at his weird feet anymore. They're so shiny. It's so weird. because I hate it. Like graphics, graphics are excelling at an, like an absurd rate. So I'm sure in 2016, this was like amazing. But now you're like... Why are the feet so shiny? And part of it is because Geralt takes so many baths. He's very clean. (laughs) There's no callus left on those feet. They are pumiced for the gods. I'm surprised there's not a mani-pedi cutscene in this game. I'm not going to lie. He's got a petty egg. (laughs) (laughs) I love this game so much. It's so stupid. (laughs) Well... Speaking of other things that the world has to offer, and no feet. I mean, there might be feet. I don't know. Peacocks have feet. But speaking of peacocks, NBC announced the starting lineup for its new Peacock streaming service. And look, I don't want to pay for another streaming service any more than you do, except for here's the thing. I am and I will. And there's nothing more to say about it. Some of the new offerings include an adaptation of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, starring Demi Moore. We welcome the Demisance, Alden Enerich. I still don't know how to say his name. I still get him confused with the other ones. They're all the same boys. 
Is he the solo one? Yeah. Okay. The Han Solo one. Um, and Kylie Bunbury, one of our faves who would be a huge star in the fangirl Topia. Uh, Peacock is also giving us uh, what is said to be a new take on Battlestar Galactica. Uh, it's not a reboot. It's not a remake. It's its own, you know, in-world thing. But we don't know much about it yet. But it is from Mr. Robot creator Sam Esmail, who is also doing a show based on Angeline, the Hollywood billboard queen with the pink car. And that's the one I'm really excited for. Real talk. It counts as genre because she's more than human. Uh, but the thing I'm most excited for is an animated series based on the balance arc of the Adventure Zone from Justin Griffin Clint and my boy Travis McElroy. I am thrilled. I have no insider knowledge on this other than it's happening, and I'm not going to inquire further because I'll squeeze, scream, and lose my shit. Speaking of collectively losing our shit, hey, <laughs> segues. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's been about a month since The Rise of Skywalker premiered in theaters, and so of course it is time to start talking about where Star Wars goes next. Rumors erupted last week that Lucasfilm had approached none other than IG-11 himself, Taika Waititi, to helm a new Star Wars. Waititi has proven his Star Wars medal after directing the much-loved season one finale of The Mandalorian, but... These are definitely still rumors. After the news broke, Taika posted a picture of the Fleetwood Mac album Rumors on his Twitter account. Many took that to mean that all the news was was rumors. Rumors on rumors. But I'm reading it as Taika telling us that he's got dreams he'd like to sell to Disney of a Star Wars movie featuring baby Nigel Yoda. Maybe he just really likes Stevie Nicks. He really liked the coven season of American Horror Story. Yes. And wanted us to celebrate the true supreme <laughs> Stevie Nicks. <laughs> Speaking of supreme beings, we're going to take a quick break and we are going to come back and talk about Gina Davis. It's her birthday this week and she has given us so much and we are going to give her a fangirls on film. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. On January 21st, 1956, Gina Davis came into this world, and we at Fangirls are so thankful that truly there are no words. And what better way to celebrate Gina than by revisiting one of our favorite movies, Beetlejuice, only said once. Do not say it three times. I will I said not. It, I said it in Slack three times, and he appeared behind me. It was awful. It was great. So, memories of their first time seeing this movie? I would imagine a lot of us who were children when we saw Beetlejuice have a lot of moments that, like, fucked us up. Yep. Mine specifically to this day. And it colors my entire, like, view of this movie that I love so much. I am still afraid that my car is going to drive off a bridge. <laughs> going to become a ghost with Alec Baldwin. Ah, it's my nightmare. That is a nightmare. 
Though he is hot in this movie. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like, you remember that episode of 30 Rock that was like the, the B gag was about HD? Yeah. And it cuts to Alec Baldwin and Alec Baldwin in HD was just young, hot Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's super hot in this movie. But this movie is, I definitely saw it so young, I don't remember seeing it for the first time. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember the cartoon very viscerally, but the movie itself, like, I know I've seen it a million times. And Michael Keaton is just outstanding. And Gina Davis plays the role, like, she's this, like, beautiful, intensely, like, strong woman. But she plays this, like, at the beginning, very meek housewife. Mm-hmm. kind of role right and it was I just remember that journey like w- when the shift comes over her when she like changes her face to scare people like she and Alec Baldwin make their like yeah. monster faces I was like oh well that's awesome <laughs> and terrifying <laughs> that's all I could think of when the Momo challenge started going around I was oh, like oh God. she gave some Beetlejuice <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> I feel like there's something about um like their specific costumes in that movie because it's all they wear the whole movie Mm -hmm. it's so iconic i cannot go to a comic book convention without seeing someone cosplaying them because it is actually like unless you do the crazy faces Mm -hmm. it's easy you just get like a laura ashley nightmare dress yep and then like a plaid shirt with a red shirt under it you're done you're beetlejuice congratulations yeah it's great I mean, it's a yes. it's a great weird movie. You know, it's of course it's '80s Tim Burton just post Pee Wee's the Pee Wee's Great Adventure. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Thank you. I was like, that's wrong. <laughs> it was a good journey that we went on. <laughs> and I was reading, I was reading some of the background because I I don't know anything actually about the background of this movie. So I was reading a little bit about it and how like Burton wanted Sammy Davis Jr. to play Beetlejuice. I'm sorry. Do what now? Right. And somebody was like, okay, but how about Michael Keaton, though? Because <laughs> can you imagine this movie with Sammy Davis Jr. as Beetlejuice? I cannot. I, I, I don't think I want to. I know. It's a very strange thought of what this movie could have been. And also, we have to point, I have to point out one tidbit I loved was that they were signing on all these stars and Catherine O'Hara signed on immediately. Of course. <laughs> like, no convincing. she's a queen. Exactly. This whole cast, okay. <sighs> Look, the whole cast is perfect. Some of the cast members have not aged well no. in our memories. No. But they still exist in all of these goddamn movies. Mm. Like, I'm not going to stop loving Ferris Bueller and Beetlejuice, but I'm just saying. Yep. <sighs> vet your movie stars, people. Yep. Like, big yikes. Big ol' yikes. Um, one of my favorite like bits of trivia about this movie is obviously in the movie, every time you see his name written, it's like Beetlegeist. Yes. And Tim Burton literally was just like, well, it's phonetically Beetlejuice, so let's just make that the title, even though we don't actually do that anywhere in the movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so it's this deeply so confusing. And I kind of love that about Tim Burton, where he's just like, I don't give a fuck. Whatever. Like, whatever. <laughs> look, look at this weird house. I'm Tim Burton. It's such a stretch. I also love how, like, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara's look in this movie and her look in Schitt's Creek are so clearly related and wonderfully yes. so. She's so good. She's so good. She's so good in this movie. Oh, and I know this is a this is a Gina Davis segment. But, but it's, we need to celebrate it's everything. Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> 
I mean, if Catherine, I'll have a whole other day about Catherine O'Hara's birthday. Don't you mistake me. Isn't it funny to look back on the time when Michael uh, Keaton was purely a comedic actor? Yeah. And how Batman, like, totally changed that? Yeah, it's so strange, right? That he went from this, like, kind of, and he's so, I mean, I, I freaking love Michael Keaton. He's yes. so good in basically everything. But the the shift from this to Batman is so jarring. Yes. I, like, my mom, one of my mom's favorite movies is The Night Shift with, like, him and Henry Winkler. And he's, like, his, he spent the entire 80s until Batman being so weird and funny. And I feel like this was, like, the perfect role for him. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, covered in all of that makeup and in, and that voice. It's, like, such a strange character. I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing where you're, like, this was a weird original script that they invested in. I think they spent, they didn't spend a ton of money on it. It was something like $15 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they invested in it and they made this that you're like, today, like, this is, would this movie even be able to be made today by a major studio? I think indie, yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. that a major studio would invest in this. Well, I I mean, I, I, I don't know that they would. I also think it would totally change the aesthetic because I think that's what, to me, separates uh, earlier Tim Burton movies from the latter-day ones because his, like, the weird practical, like, kind of claymation effects that make his earlier stuff so fun um, in, like, Alice in Wonderland and and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory have been replaced with just fucking Instagram filters. Like, I can't stand it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a true point. Uh, So, like, Warner Brothers investing in this is just hilarious to me. In, in the idea that they would ever do something like this today outside of, like, a, a sideline um, studio. But I also think, like, there was something about the 80s and, like, risks that they could take. True. And um, the kind of stars that they would have. Like, I, Winona Ryder so perfectly exists to me in the exact time capsule in which her career was at its at its zenith. I do think she would be a star now, but like she's so perfectly a star of the 80s and 90s. I can't imagine anyone else being this like perfect goth baby queen that would know to write her. It's funny because the they say Burton cast her in this after seeing Lucas and I freaking love that movie. I love that movie. I love Lucas. And like those two, both roles are so wonderfully like her and wonderfully 80s and that like, bringing to light that awkward goth girl. I love it. It's just so, she's like, she existed so perfectly in like our like baby goth dreams, 90s like wayfish dreams. She's just all of our dreams. Uh, And she looked great at the SAG Awards this past weekend. Oh God, she's, I'm just like, I'm so, I'm so happy that she's back. I love her so much. So (laughs) there's some interesting uh, bits of the script that did not make it uh, to film Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, In the original script, which was written by Michael McDowell, he was a winged demon. Oh, no. Who takes on the form of a, wait for it, short Middle Eastern man. Oh, no. Intent on killing the Dietzes rather than scaring them and wanted sex from Lydia instead of trying to marry her. Ew. (laughs) Well, I hate all of that. (laughs) Yeah. There was also like a second kid named Kathy who was nine and she was the only one who could see uh, Barbara and Adam. Hmm. And uh, then 
he mutilates her while in the form of a rabid squirrel before revealing his true form. To be fair, this does this does still sound like an '80s children's movie. It really does. Like honestly, this would have had like a like a like a soft PG, soft PG rating. Yeah. <laughs> but super glad that was not the script that got made That's, into the movie. F- oh, 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 oh. Tell me okay. more. There was a rewrite by Warren Scarron, who also wrote on uh, Tim Burton's Batman. He rewrote this. <laughs> This, this Beetlejuice uh, Middle Eastern man uh, in mostly African-American vernacular English. So, you know, here's the thing about the 80s. A lot of the movies we love turned out good on complete accident and by the skin of their teeth. Oh, what a mess of a decade. I think I would imagine that, honestly, this is what led Gina Davis down her path to being like, you know what? Less men. <laughs> I was just going to say, this movie actually has a lot of women in it. Yeah. <laughs> this movie's great. And, like, it's, like, the female characters are truly, like, all outstanding. Yes. They're so good. And, like, a lot of that comes from the fact that just, like, these are outstanding women. It's just a, it's just a good movie. God, I'm glad that a uh, short Middle Eastern man using oh, African-American vernacular English. Ultimately, Michael Keaton was the right choice. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> casting against type. Colorblind casting. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the one time that I'm glad they gave it to a white man instead oh, of their original choice. Oh, God. Oh, my God. And it probably, it honestly, it probably would have been like a very Fisher-Stevens and short circuit kind of situation. Oh, yeah. No, they still would have cast a white yeah, dude. Yeah, still would have been a white guy. Still 100% would have been a white guy. Like, my favorite thing about Fisher-Stevens and short circuit is how many Indian kids had to come to the realization that that was a white man. I know. Where you're like, oh, yeah, Indian rep. And then you're like, what the Damn fuck? It. What? Yikes on bikes. But you know what? There's good things. There's good things to celebrate and talk about. In 2004, Gina Davis started the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media. Uh, Per their mission statement, the organization looks to work collaboratively within the entertainment industry to engage, educate, and influence the creation of gender-balanced on-screen portrayals, reducing harmful stereotypes, and creating an abundance of unique and intersectional female characters in entertainment, targeting children 11 and under, which is amazing. Since its existence, uh, the Institute has influenced uh, gender portrayal in a lot of family films like Inside Out, Hotel Transylvania, The Little Prince, and shows like The Dark Crystal and Doc McStuffins. I have a seven-year-old daughter. I watch a lot of Doc McStuffins. And that show is a blessed angel baby of a program. It's about a wonderful black family of doctors and the little girl, Doc, she wants to become a doctor. And so she's a doctor to all of her stuffed animals who she has the power Cute. to talk to. And they sing lots of songs about, like, being scared and having anxiety. And it's wonderful. And I love it very much. And also it had uh, it, also, it had lesbians. It had lesbian moms of a baby. Aww. Of a baby doll. It was great. Cute. I love Doc McStuffins. Thank you, Gina. I mean, this is what's great when people in positions of power use that power for positive change. 
Like, I know this this was a direct result of Gina Davis, like, watching TV with her daughter, I think, and realizing how few women there were in significant roles. And granted, we're still, a f- like, far, 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 far away from gender parity and certainly not equity for the marginalizations within the gender. But to know that there are people out there who are doing this work and invested in doing the work because she's she's spent a lot of time with this institute and really trying to impact change is just really nice to think about and and recognize. And she's walked the walk herself too. I mean, if you look at her filmography, like, you know, Thelma and Louise, A League of Their Own, these are movies that are hugely important to mm-hmm. women. Yes. Like these movies, like... They matter so, so much. And then, like, most recently, she's been doing, uh, uh, she was a voice on uh, She-Ra. Yeah. She plays Hantara. And she was on Glow. Yeah. And those are very, like, obviously, like, female-empowered shows made by women, written by women. And so she's she's playing what she's presenting, too. And she was commander-in-chief. So she was the first female president, technically. Yes. Now make it a reality. <laughs> she was also on an episode of Knight Rider. As I look at her, her biography is like, good for you, girl. You hang out with Mr. Feeney as Kit. Uh, wait, wait, what? Uh, on Knight Rider, I'm Mr. Sorry, Feeney William, was the William voice of Daniels? the car. Yep, wait, he was what? the voice of Kit the car. 1776s? Yes, 776's own William Daniels, a.k.a. Mr. Feeney, a.k.a. Kit. What? (laughs) A.k.a. Mr. Feeney again on Girl Meets World. Girl Meets World was an underrated show. Agreed. Hard agreed. Speaking of more women in media, this this has gone off the rails. Girl Meets World deserved better. Gina Davis, we love you. Gina Davis, we love you. Thank you for all your hard work. I got to Girl Meets World from there. But you know what? Like... She's doing good, important things. And every time we get another study about how, like, you know, this incremental change happening in the industry, where it's just like, there were more female directors this year. It's, you know, 15% now, like stuff like that. And it can be disheartening how slow the growth and change is and how, you know, like, it's, it's just taking so much time, but it's still so incredibly revolutionary for the people who are making that change happen. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I honestly, like, I'm really, you know, I kind of joked about uh, all of the, you know, the streaming services earlier, but I think that, like, having all of these avenues for different streaming platforms and therefore um, people kind of having more room to experiment, it is providing way more opportunities. Star Wars wouldn't necessarily, obviously, let... You know, Deborah Chow direct the movies, but look right. at what she's done for Mandalorian. And it's it's, you know, it's a risk versus reward. And it sucks that they, you know, that, you know, women, especially women of color, are still considered, you know, less risky than their less experienced white male counterparts. I think that streaming has kind of really opened up a lot of doors in that way where we're getting to see, you know, more talent, more diverse talent. And they are getting opportunities to thrive because, you know, people are actually tuning in. Yeah, no, I, I, agree. I don't know about Apple TV or anything. I don't mm-hmm. know anyone. That's, I don't know anyone that's watching Apple TV. Uh, according to the Gina Davis Institute website, 68 percent 
of entertainment industry executives familiar with the Institute's research changed two or more of their projects. Uh, 41% changed four or more projects. These changes included aspirations and occupations of female characters, their dialogue, story development, or an increase in female characters. And one of their big targets, too, is uh, desexualization of female characters. If female characters could just, like, not be walking boobs, like, then the Gina Davis Institute has won. There's just so many things still happening, but it's so nice yeah. that, like, that is a focus specifically is mm-hmm. amazing to hear. Yes. Like, I, I rewatched uh, League of Their Own, like, last week. Still amazing. But part of it is the sheer, like, I mean, that movie came out in 1992, Two, maybe? I think. Mm-hmm. And the things that they recognized then that we're still talking about now, you yeah. know, is frustrating. But also, like, it has gotten better. If you look, you know, we got to compare Harley Quinn. Birds of Prey is an example, right? Mm-hmm. Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad versus Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey, which is written and directed by women. And looking at the difference in which in in the way that she is portrayed and the costume she's wearing when she has choice like that, the subtitle of the the fantabulous emancipation of um, Harley Quinn is important because you get to see when women have ownership, how we are represented and it's incredible. Like that scene in A League of Their Own when they go from their women leagues where they're just playing and they're mm-hmm. wearing basically the same uniforms as the men to what they are when this these men fund the league. And they're short, yeah. the skirts and the da. It's, it's just all tied together in such an interesting way and in such an exciting way of the movement forward for us. It's, it's nice to see. Well, and one thing I love about League of Thrones, and we recognize that League of Thrones is not genre. Right, but... Uh, but we love it so much that, like, we're not going to stop talking about it. We spent a long time talking about when Harry met Sally last time. So. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I love about League of Their Own, too, is that it's it's a very, like, you know, female-empowering movie. But it still calls out the fact that, like, these were only... These only got to be white women. Yes. That one scene where the black woman throws the pitch and it's, you know, one of the best pitches of the entire movie... Like they even they even nodded to that. And that just that tends to be a thing that certainly not white male directors. That movie just has a lot. And it's it's just speaks to a, you know, a goodness. Yes, man. Feeling really good. Feeling real good. We are the members of oh, the All-American Oh, no, no, Mr. Crying. <laughs> <laughs> we got Canadians. Uh. There's there is there's no crying in baseball, but there is a lot of crying at baseball movies about women at baseball (laughs) of Sigurd and Nelson. So, you know what else is good? Books. Books are great. Books are great. So Preeti and our friend Carly Lane are going to talk about books in a little segment we like to call Get Wrecked. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, this is Carly, and welcome to Get Wrecked, where your resident readers on Team Sci-Fi Fangirls dive deep into discussing everything we love, from the genres that redefine the art of storytelling, from talking about our favorite tropes, to exciting new releases, to older stories that deserve a spotlight, too, we're here to add to your TBR pile one book at a time. Hi, Preeti. Hi. So I am <laughs> guesting today on Get Wrecked uh, because we're going to talk about a book that I desperately love. Desperately. Desperately. Because it's a mutual. Is, it's, a, it's a mutual thing. And it's, it's a book that is about desperate love at its core, I feel like. That's fair to say. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. So this book is called Cushiel's Dart. It's the first in a trilogy, and the trilogy is the first trilogy in a trilogy of trilogies. In a tri- what, I don't even know what the official name for that is. Nine books. But. Nine books. <laughs> um, and it's by Jacqueline Carey, and it got picked up, it got optioned very recently for a series, which I'm excited about, because it's a fantasy series that is by a woman that centers women, which is mm-hmm. awesome. I feel like it's the fantasy show. I said this on Twitter that fantasy show. I feel like it's the fantasy show that Game of Thrones wishes it was. Yes. No, (laughs) absolutely. The concept in and of itself, I think, is very inherently feminist. Because not only do you have, like, the female protagonist, Phaedra, who... We meet and it's... I mean, it's her story, basically. We The book is told from her perspective. We're in her head. She's this... I will say complicated female character because I think the term strong female character gets overused a lot. A complex female character who realizes early on that she uh, derives pleasure from pain. So there's a lot of interesting elements to the story that kind of come as a result of that. But she basically becomes a courtesan and then also trains to become a spy. So not only is she kind of, we'll say rubbing elbows with, the higher echelons of the society in this world called Terre d'Ange. But she's also, you know, <laughs> she's also like uncovering information, sensitive information in her kind of close quarters proximity to some of these people and dangerous information in a lot of cases. So there's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of court politics, a lot of rich world building, which I personally love. Anytime I start a new fantasy series, that's one of my favorite things to kind of just get so immersed in like the the richness of the world and and the lore and the religion and all the elements that kind of go into creating a a new fictional realm shall we say yeah i mean jacqueline carey is great at building an entire society an entire world like she has all these different civilizations and different religions and how they interact you know in I reread the book like I spent like the last I spent the holiday weekend basically reading this book, which I read for the first time when I was like 19, I think. And I've read countless times since because she builds this amazing journey that Phaedra goes on from the time that she's like four years old up until I think at the end of the book, she's like 21 or 22. 
and she goes to different lands. She she goes through these harrowing experiences and comes out on the other side, not as like this perfect character, but you get to see her make mistakes and you get to see her realize that she's made mistakes and what those mistakes lead to. And it's it's written in this like incredibly lush very decadent style which makes sense for this land where like the pre- the Eloa's precept which is like love as thou wilt mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very right. it's a very sexy book yes i was literally <laughs> just about to say it's a very sensual it's a sensual book very much so a trilogy and not just because of the one of my favorite tropes which is the forbidden romance <laughs> aspect <laughs> and and the romance between phaedra and a character named Jocelyn, who is basically like her, I would say like her bodyguard guardian. It's but essentially like very reluctantly. So he's right. so angry about it. And she's yeah. so angry about it. And like this character who has, you know, is supposed to be celibate. Good luck with that, bro. And then <laughs> that doesn't last. <laughs> no spoilers, but nothing can get in the, in the way of true love. But I will say the one, one of the other things not to not to draw too many comparisons to Game of Thrones, but honestly, the, these books have one of the best female villains. Oh my god! Yes. I've ever read in Melisande. Like mm-hmm. this woman who almost seems like her fate is is tied to Phaedra's in this inescapable way. But but also, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to say that she's a villain wholly and completely. I think she's too again too complex to be defined and just by that label but she is i mean she is the antagonist for the most part of the series she does try to throw a wrench into things however as Preeti mentioned there's several trilogies in the series and the next trilogy features a character that is tied to both women in an interesting way oh it's so, so good it's so good <laughs> I, I like i'm so excited because it's i love this series so much and it's because at its core it's about you know, this woman having to mount insur- like insurmountable odds at times where you really think, you know, that she's how could she possibly make it through this horrible experience? And it's and it's never in this way that feels as if it's about the kind of I don't want to use this phrase, but I can't think of another one. But like the <laughs> torture porn of it. Right. You know, it's not about that. It's it's far more complicated than that and because Phaedra is such a fully fleshed out character because you understand her and you understand her issues as well as her strengths that she is the person you just want so badly for her to succeed Mm -hmm. like this is her book and it centers her so well even with all these other things because there are so many characters in this book like we talked about Jocelyn but we didn't get to like the spy master. We didn't get to her best friend, Hyacinth. It's just like so incredible. The world that is built around this woman mm-hmm. and just kind of explodes outward. It's so good. It's a good high stakes fantasy. Like, honestly, I've read, I've read and reread these, the first trilogy, at least I haven't gotten my way to the others, but I've reread this first trilogy so many times. I can't. So honestly, when I found out it was going to be optioned, I'm I'm just I'm crossing my fingers so hard that it gets picked up and they do it justice because I like I said 
it's the show that Game of Thrones, it would be the show that Game of Thrones wishes it was. Yeah, and, and if they're thoughtful, because I feel like Carrie at the time was thoughtful about the way she presented things. Like, there are points at which Phaedra, like, recognizes her own privilege and recognizes how she's been, she's ignored certain aspects of, like, her less privileged best friend's life and not even realized it, that they'll be thoughtful about adapting it and kind of working on some of the more problematic aspects of the book because in any fantasy series, like this book was published almost two decades ago, Mm -hmm. there are pieces of it that you're like, oh, we can now have a space to be like, this is not the best way to have represented this thing. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully in adapting it, they'll have people on board who can be thoughtful about those adaptations and maybe altering some of those pieces that shouldn't necessarily make it to screen. Right. And you make a good point, especially because I think what we're seeing now is this trend of studios and networks going back to stories that were written in a, in a different time. And I know that, We've seen the success that happens when things are adapted and changes are made to the source material. Like I'll bring up Outlander. Changes were made to that source material that for the better, in my opinion, as someone who's read both the books and watched the show. Again, not to bring up the Daenerys in the room, but like there's other there's other shows that didn't quite as successfully right. maybe or maybe made some good changes, but also didn't make some other good ones. So. But I think for the most part, what we've seen is thoughtful changes that have been made. And hopefully with this, I mean, I think I think the foundation is is good. The foundation is strong. If they do have to update things, it probably I don't think it would take away from the impact of the story. And there's a let's put there's a reason I think that it's kind of it's been this long lasting favorite in fantasy Mm -hmm. fiction. The reason that fans still kind of come back to it over and over again. So. I'm excited. It's it'll it'll be good. Keep your fingers crossed. Keep your eyes peeled. We'll see any like updates that come. In the meantime, if you do want to pick it up, I think I don't know if it, it's still on sale on ebook. I know Jacqueline Carey posted something on Twitter recently about how the first book was maybe on sale on in e-reader. It, yeah, it was recent, but they I just found there's a compilation of the first three for like 15 bucks on iTunes or on iBooks that I just got, even though I have them yeah. in paperback. Because I was like, I want them with me all the time. Yep. <laughs> and so <laughs> I've been reading through that. It's it's all three books, which it's like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. Like it is so, I forgot how much happens in that first book. Like I kept being like, is this where it ends? And I was like, oh shit, no, they go to Alba in this book. Like what? <laughs> So, oh, no. yeah, it's definitely available. And if not, you can get it at your library. Like, this book is available everywhere. Um, Carly, you were going to also share some recommended reads with us. Yeah, I want to just quick pitch some things that I've been reading, loving lately. You should definitely pick these up if you haven't read them yet. So the first one I want to talk about is called The Library of the Unwritten by A.J. Hackwith. And it is, I would say, a fantasy novel, not heavy on the romance, but there's romantic elements in it. It's Basically, this world where books that aren't finished by their authors um, reside in this place called the Library of the Unwritten in hell. <laughs> and it's <laughs> and basically every now and then restless characters emerge from the unfinished stories in search of their author. And it's up to the librarian in charge to track them down and put them back in the books where they belong. 
So a hero escapes his book and goes in search of his author. And so it's the head librarian's job. Her name is Claire, along with a former muse, like one of the muses and a newly minted demon named Alito to bring him back. So they have to go to Earth in search of this romantic hero to bring him, put him back in the book where he belongs. However, there's also this kind of greater threat lurking because there's there's rumblings that this powerful book known as the Devil's Bible has also gone missing, and they're not the only ones after it. Heaven also has their has their angels kind of going after it too. So it becomes this like battle between heaven and hell for this book that could <laughs> kind of like change everything and <laughs> not in a good way. But it's so good, and it's one of those books that you almost want to like slow down and read, but then also you can't help yourself from speeding ahead to find out what happens next and. I know we were talking about world building. This this world building in this book is so good. And I believe she's working, the author's working on a sequel. So Library of the Unwritten by A.J. Hackwith. Pick it up if you haven't yet. It's great. The other one I wanted to drop real quick is uh, Polaris Rising by Jesse Mahalik. Very strong Han and Leia vibes if you're into that sort of dynamic. But it's about a space princess on the run from an arranged marriage who meets up with a mysterious outlaw and a former soldier. And it's the first book in a trilogy Ada von Hasenberg is not thrilled about her impending nuptials to another noble, but she's thrown into a prison cell for her escape attempts and crosses paths with the infamous Marcus Locke and realizes her only hope is to strike a deal with a criminal if she wants to stay out of her betrothed's clutches. So it very much becomes the like snarky, you know, like I'm stuck with you. I guess you're my only hope at getting out of this situation, but also you're, uh, I'm like weirdly attracted to you at the same time and can't explain it. <laughs> I love it. Cause it also sounds like space balls more so it is, like space it is. Balls than Star Wars. Actually, <laughs> it is a little like he, I mean, he's very, I think he's a little more of a like gruff stoic boy than Han, but she's, she's definitely like the sassy Leia type who is very independent and will like grab her own gun and do her own, you know, her own rescuing if it, if the situation comes down to it. And it's a lot of fun that I believe the trilogy, hers is this, the first book. And then I think the other two books in the trilogy are her sisters, like each with a different romance. And the second one is one of her sisters and the like head of security for their noble house who's pined after her for years so <laughs> amazing <laughs> I'm really excited to get to that one because you know I love a good a good pining <laughs> that all sounds awesome and I feel like this was really great and we can't wait to have you back for the next get wrecked segment that was so hard to say uh, <laughs> in a month I guess from now yeah sounds good thanks for having me So as always, thanks for listening, and we would love for you to leave us some love on iTunes. It helps support and promote the show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sci-Fi Fangirls Pod. I'm at Rum with Skizzers on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Court Unlow on Twitter and Courtney Unlow on Instagram. Until next time. Speak geek like a girl. Geek like a girl.